This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is uh, certainly one of the youngest people we've ever had uh, an inspiring story episode about. But uh, boy, he's packed a lot into his uh, relatively short time uh, on this earth. He is a, a tech entrepreneur uh, based here in Perth, uh, but he grew up uh, on the streets of uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. I say on the streets uh, in, 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 in a literal sense, because uh, at one point he was uh, orphaned uh, and then became homeless before uh, he found himself on a plane on a one-way ticket all the way to Western Australia and landing in Perth. And since then, he has not looked back. So looking forward to hearing the story of Tyler Spooner. Tyler, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really keen to uh, to talk about your uh, your tech efforts a little bit later because I, I think your beginning has uh, given you some some qualities that have certainly fed into how you go about your uh, your tech entrepreneurial efforts uh, as well. But uh, Tyler, just tell us how old you were when you first uh, landed here in Perth. Uh, so I was just in the back of 19, going on 20, so halfway through 19 yep. and a half. And I've got to say, what you know, why Perth, and and what did you know of Perth? What did you think of Perth at the time? Yeah, we had a family friend over here, and um, I got sold all these dreams of the big mining boom. So I yep. come over here and make hundreds of thousands of dollars on a mine site. And actually, when I landed, it was the bus, so I couldn't actually get a job <laughs> at KFC. It was quite interesting. Because what you were too old to to start yeah, there. So, well, yeah. So when I landed, I thought, well. As a fullback, I could work at KFC or McDonald's, but I was too old. I started to become more of an um, adult employee, so it cost more, and then I had to go through training. Yep. So it was really hard to actually find a job. Yep. And, and what were you coming over here in the hope of doing? Just to go on the mindset. So I got sold these dreams of you can apply, you can go there, you can learn, you can become like a driller's offsider or something like that and earn a lot of money. Yeah. Um, growing up yeah. in, in New Zealand, uh, what are some of your early memories of growing up there, because I know it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't a picture perfect childhood by any means, was it? Yeah, so it all started to change for me when I was around ten. Yep. So um, that's when I became an orphan, um, and then I got moved into foster care, and then I had a couple of foster cares, and um, I got put in a place called Aranui, um, where the unemployment rate is triple that of um, West Australia. Right. So it was a very rough um, neighbourhood growing up. Yeah. Uh, in and out of um, school, in and out of like little teenage gangs just getting into trouble really mm. that's incredibly tough on a 10 year old you're definitely old enough to to remember all of that and to uh, to feel the pain of that in a very profound way 
Uh, have you have you been able to sort of process that in the years since? Yeah, there wasn't much time to process it, to be honest, when I was at young. So um, it was kind of like you went from playing in playgrounds to trigger, figuring out how to use a washing machine. Yeah. It's a big shift in life, right? Mm. Um, and you just you just get through it. You just continue. You don't actually have time to process or think about it. Mm. If you don't mind me asking, Tyler, what happened? What happened? Yeah, when you you know when you were ten, that that left you an orphan. Uh, so actually, my father died earlier, and then my um, mother got crit- critically ill. Yeah. So then she got bedridden and got put into intensive care. So at that point, I had to go and find. Well, the government took care of me. Yeah. Um, no relatives could actually take me, so then I went to foster homes. Right. So when you start bouncing in and out of different foster homes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and foster homes, we hear, you know, the, the good stories. We hear some terrible stories uh, of, of young kids' uh, experiences in foster yeah. homes. How are yours? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's different, right? So I didn't have anything traumatic. Um, bounced in and out of a couple. Some people just try and do the best they can for the children. Other yep. people try and use it as a way to make money. Um, and other people were just trying to help. So mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that I got some nice people along the way, a lot of... Um, Religious families along the way, they were actually quite nice. Mm. But it's hard, right? When you're in your teenage years, when you're rebelling, yep. um, and people are religious, it's very strict. So you just kind of push back on a lot of people that are trying to help you as well. Yeah. So who did you have to, to guide you through those years, if anyone? Yeah, I had to. Um, actually, it was sport. Um, was one right. of the big drivers for me. Um, at a young age, I had a basketball coach that was um, quite a good like a figure in my life, I guess try and keep me on the straight line. Yeah. Um, a couple of foster families here and there that were actually really good. Um, a couple of local pastors from churches that were really good. And um, my older sister, when she came back to Christchurch, helped me out a lot. Mm. From what I know of you, Tyler, you've, you've got a very busy and active mind. Um, was that something that you always had or was it uh, really kicked into gear when you had to become, I suppose, in a sense, more self-sufficient uh, when you became an orphan and you, you're going from home to home, place to place, and you have to kind of become a bit more street savvy. Was that when that sort of entrepreneurial, the early signs of that entrepreneurial brain really started to develop? Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't thought of it that way. Um, yeah, I guess there's that and also the fact that I'm dyslexic. So, like, the way I think about solving a problem is different to yeah. other people. Yeah. So I have to figure out a way to get around obstacles. So that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. There so I guess go. from an early age of figuring, yeah, figuring things out like that, and it kind of changes the way you look at problems. Mm. Uh, what about siblings through this time? Uh, did they did they end up in the same homes as you? Uh, my sisters are older. Um, one of them is a different, um, is a half sister, so I don't really have much to do with their family. Right. And the other sister had was already struggling with a solid mum, so she already had her own stuff to look after. Yeah. Um, wasn't in Christchurch, tried to move back to help, but she had to look after her own family as well. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk about getting into a bit of strife in New Zealand, what are we what are we talking? Uh, just uh, teenage stuff, right? And I did a couple of gangs, um, yeah, small stuff, a little bit of um, selling selling certain things that you're not supposed to sell, I guess. Yeah, um, just stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. And, and was there a moment when you thought, "I've I've got to get out of here. I need a circuit breaker. I need to just hit the reset and do something different." Not me. It was my sister, my older sister. Mm. So um, I got I got arrested, um, and because I was under the age of sixteen, I couldn't get charged. Yeah. Um, so I got arrested for grand theft auto, and then my sister said, "Look, you, what are you doing with yourself?" Um, and I was too young to understand what was going on. Yeah. And then she went and tried to had a look at a way of trying to get me out. 
So she spent the next couple of years trying to figure out how to get me out of New Zealand while I was getting into more trouble. Yep. That's, um, in hindsight, uh, that was quite an extraordinary thing that your sister did for you then, huh? Yeah, that was a big switch that changed it. Yeah. I like to say that I was kind of like a, um, a fish. So fish never know they're in water until they get pulled out. Mm. So I was kind of in a bad environment, didn't know what I was doing until I kind of got that one-way ticket out. Yeah. Um, I imagine you resisted then at first. You said that you didn't quite uh, take on board the sort of strife and, and life path that you might have been on at the time, but did you resist pretty strongly when she said, hey, why don't you get out of here? Why don't you go all the way over to Perth, Western Australia? Funnily, I didn't. I didn't have anything. To, I had nothing. Yeah. So I had one bag of clothes. Mm. So like for me, it was like, oh, why not? Mm. I've got nothing else here. Yeah. 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 And and what what did you picture getting here? I know you you know Rich's uh, working on the mines, <laughs> but what sort of a life yeah. was starting to form in your imagination at that point? I didn't actually have anything. I remember jumping on the plane and going, "Well, I've got nothing to lose, nothing to gain." Yeah. So like it was, I had no idea. Yeah, it's a one way ticket I though, really right? Had no idea. Yeah, one way ticket. Yeah. Yeah, um, I had no idea. Yeah. And here you are. How many years on? Uh, has it been now since oh. you've been in Perth? So since I was 19, I'm 30 yeah. now, 11 years? It's, yeah, 11 years. Uh, and and yeah. it, it feels like home to you now? 100%. Yeah. yeah. When I go back to New Zealand, it's um, it's interesting. Yeah. So you've landed in Perth. Uh, you mentioned before, you know, you'd struggle to get a job at KFC or something like that because you're yeah. over that starting age, if you like, for a, a fast food outlet. You know, God, they normally take on, what, 14-year-olds and, and pay them 14-year-old yeah. Wages, which wasn't going to do for you. Yeah. So, so what did you do from there? Um, I managed to get a job um, at night working on the train line um, as a commercial cleaner. Right. So that's cleaning all the structurals down and cleaning up um, any fatalities on the train line, stuff like that. So heavy-duty commercial cleaning. Yep. And uh, that paid the bills really well. Um, it was my first kind of touch of money. I'd never actually earned a proper wage before. Mm. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, uh, and then I kind of just relaxed for a year. And then I got into um, audiobooks. Yeah, right. Um, reading audiobooks. So Jim Rohn, because I'm semi dyslexic, I can't actually read a full book correctly. Right. Um, but audiobooks allowed me to actually read all these great knowledge, absorb a lot of knowledge about business and how to start a business. Yep. Um, and in doing that, I actually <laughs> ventured out and started my own commercial um, cleaning and recycling company. Fantastic. Yeah. So, and so then, you- so we. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, so using the the direct skills that you just acquired in your first job here, decided yeah. to to go out on your own, uh, which I mean, to a lot of people is just not something that they would they would do. They, you know, either it's too much risk or they're not comfortable being their own boss. I, I think it it's one of those things that some people have in them innately, and others either have to learn or just don't even entertain the idea of. Yeah, so reading the books was like a light switch. Yeah. So I read a couple of business books from Jim Rohn and a couple other authors, and I it was like a light switch. I started to see things differently. Yeah. Yeah, I started to understand things completely differently. Yeah. Like instead of working for a business, why don't I work on a business? Mm. I mean, some people yeah, are like that, aren't they? they? They're quite happy just to work for a big company, and others just hate the idea. They don't like the idea of being owned themselves uh, by a big employer. I, I get the feeling that you fit into that category of, of wanting to take things, uh, you know, into your own hands and, and make your own decisions for yourself. Yeah, I just wanted more um, opportunity to, when I used to work for an employer, I could only work a certain amount of hours to make a certain wage. 
Yep. And I wanted to be able to control whether or not I made more money or less money. So, because yep. my whole goal is to once I actually make it to turn around and help the people that help me, right? Yep. So to do that, I actually need to expand my way of income. Yeah. Can I ask, when you when you did get here and you started to get a couple of, of decent paychecks, uh, I imagine there'd be, an, uh, you know, some sense of satisfaction there uh, that you're doing this uh, and that you're, yeah. you've, you've changed your life around. You know, how did you embrace, I don't want to say newfound wealth, but compared to the humble beginnings uh, that you'd had and the strife you'd been in uh, in Christchurch, yeah. this new life that that came to you, it, it must have come also with an enormous sense of satisfaction for you too, right? Yeah, I have a story that I tell. Um, so when I was growing up, um, not being able to buy food, obviously the supermarket was um, an interesting yep. point, but also the fact that I used to, uh, you know, um, Nivea for men, they have like a, a skincare range. Yeah. So, the, so in Coles and Wolves, they have a skincare range. And I used to always think when I've made it, I'm going to go and buy that whole skincare range. So when I started to make money, I actually went out and bought all the Nivea products and Coles and Moors, <laughs> and I bought both the sensitive and the non-sensitive because I didn't realize what I was buying, right? Yeah. So that was quite a, that was my made it, right? My whole Nivea range. Yeah. It was quite funny. <laughs> Great story. You'll have to share that with Nivea. They'll be, they'll be thrilled. <laughs> a bit of customer feedback. Uh, hey, Tyler, yeah. we need to take a break, but I really want to get into uh, the next part of your life story after that. Tyler Spooner is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, tech entrepreneur Tyler Spooner is our special guest, uh, a tech entrepreneur who also has a passion for giving back to his local community. Uh, Tyler, we're up to the stage where you've just gone out on your own and started your first business, a commercial cleaning business. Uh, was there, I suppose, the early signs of, of a social side to that business, even in, your, in what was your first uh, foray into the business world yourself? Not the first one. That was just me trying to get into business. Yep. So there was an obviously a drive that if I made it, then I would turn around and try and help. But the yep. first one was solely just a commercial business, trying to figure out how to how to make it work. You at least uh, included some sort of environmental component, though, into that business. Yeah. yeah? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, there was a yeah. So the idea was to be to help businesses become sustainable. So not only would we give them um, like eco-friendly cleaning, we'd also change the cycling. So you'd have yep green waste, uh, trash, and paper, but we were early. So this was 2012. Right. So we were too early before the big green buzz. Yeah. So we went out there, and what happened was we actually got a lot of traction, but they just wanted the cleaning, not the recycling. So it turned more into like a full commercial cleaning company rather yeah. than a recycling company. Yeah. You're obviously not involved with that anymore. Talk us through the, no. the lifespan of that company as far as your involvement anyway. Yeah, so I had that company for three years. Um, we grew it to, it's a small, small company, so there was only me, myself, and um, three other employees. So it's started to grow. I've got some um, commercial contracts with some reasonable sized businesses, started to grow that. But cleaning is very hard in the fact that you're always on the tools. Yep. You're always working in your business. Um, people always turn. You've got people just not turning up. You've got people that are sick. And when that happens, you have to take over. Yep. So I found myself um, scrubbing a toilet on a Saturday night, and the plunger broke, the scrubber broke. 
And I thought I've, I've had enough. I've had enough of this. Nothing wrong with cleaning, but I just wanted to have a business that I could work on, not in. Yep. And then I um I sold that one. Okay. And and then what? And then after I sold that one, I was kind of looking around what my next thing to do. I was actually started helping out um Oz Harvest and Second Bites. So it was my kind of way of like once I've actually made a bit of money, let's turn around and try and help people. Um, when I went back there to help them, I got very frustrated with the systems, with the fact that um, food rescue companies want to buy more trucks. There's two food rescue companies. Why can't we share trucks yep. instead of buy new trucks and, and resources and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of red tape around, well, we can't do that because of X, Y, Z, or we can't help these people because of X, Y, Z, because of grants or because of just the funding we have, right? Mm. Um, which is very frustrating. So then I wanted to take my... Um, business logic and create a social enterprise. And that's yep. when they started feed me. Wow. You often hear that in the, the not-for-profit or the, you know, the community help sector, that there are these great organizations that all do similar things, but um, mm. there's, a, there's a crippling competitiveness, bureaucracy around it that uh, detracts from the greater good. Um, that's obviously what you encountered, right? A hundred percent. And yeah. it's, it's more the, it's the sad thing is it's the, the management because the people on the front lines that are usually donate their time, like the, the foot soldiers right yeah. in, the, in the trenches of it, they're just trying to help. Yeah. They don't actually see all the, yeah. Yeah. So really the, the Feed Me app, um, you know, which if I'm right in, uh, in, in, in my memory here, it came about really, you use some of the funds from the sale of your cleaning business, you start the Feed Me app that was uh, in part trying to address uh, what you saw as um, you know a, um, handbrakes on the uh, on the sector that was trying to give food uh, to people who needed it most uh, tell us how I mean you know it's it, it, a lot of people might see the uh, inefficiencies in the system but again it takes someone uh, with your kind of brain I think to go I'm actually going to do something about it something practical uh, something that's going to work um, tell me, you know, can you remember that light bulb moment going off? Yeah, it's actually, so I had a co-founder, um, Brenda Lyle, feed me. Yep. Um, and we had an idea, so we're sitting there trying to figure out what to eat one night. And I was like, well, I've got so many options to eat because before when I had no money, I had no options, right? It's yeah. like you either got food or you don't, you don't have food. Yep. So I was like, there's so many restaurants and I don't know what to eat. And then I was like, figuring out what to eat, trying all the kind of different food platforms. And I'm like, none of them really solved the problem of just helping me find something to eat. And at the same time, I was, I was sitting there looking at all these options going, well, I'm so spoiled now. Like I have, I have too many options. Yeah. And it'd be really great if I could actually help someone while I go and eat cats. Mm. And then I was like, well, if, if we could do that, then we could create a booking platform that the restaurants would reward, be rewarded with consumers if they donated meals to people in need or like paid for the meals that go to people in need. Right. So the idea was you give restaurants traffic and in return, restaurants will donate the meal. Okay. And, and consumers, can, consumers can find somewhere to eat or book. Yep. Okay. So the restaurants yeah. actually make the pledge, the donation uh, of, of a meal or, or food uh, to someone who needs yeah, it. And, and you give the consumers yeah, the stream, uh, options you get to consumer, go ahead themselves. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And like to streamline the process, what we ended up doing was actually just charging the restaurant a small fee, and then that fee would go strictly to Oz Harvest or Second Bites to make it more efficient. Yeah. So basically, it was a yeah. The concept was a tender for food, so you could swipe through easily, find the restaurants you like, book a restaurant, or get delivery. And every time you did that, the restaurant would get a little fee. That fee would then go to Oz Harvest or Second Bites. 
Okay. And and how did that go? We got a bit of traction. We got into um, the Plus 8 program, which is like the um, tick accelerator here in Western Australia. Uh, we donated around 10,000 meals. Yep. We grew to around 20,000 users. But the problem we had was because we were donating majority of the profits, we couldn't actually afford to maintain the business without running a loss. Yep. Yep. So then we realized that it wasn't a sustainable model to do that. So that's kind of like when I learned the, um, well, they're using the airlines where they drop the mask down and they go, please put on your own oxygen mask before you put, try and help others. That's what I learned from that business was mm-hmm. if I'm trying to help make an impact, I need to have a business that's got a strong foundation or makes business sense so then I can then help people. Yep. You need to take the mask yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Is is it hard to let go of something that you've poured your heart and soul into? Uh, we we used it all, right? So for me, that was all learnings. That was all mm. That was my first thing in the tech tech entrepreneurship. What is technology? How do you build an app? Yep. How do you get users? What what kind of stack of technology are you using? How to work with developers? So all those lessons we learned built the foundation of our product yep. for the, where we are now, basically. Yep. So, like, it was all learnings, it was all lessons, it was all, it wasn't waste. And the goal was still always there. Once we make it, we've got to give back, right? Yeah, uh, which, uh, which hasn't left you, and it's uh, fed into the, uh, the newest incarnation of your, uh, your tech uh, entrepreneurial works as well. Tell us what Feed Me uh, then led to. So, Feed Me then led to um, Uno Cart, which is now Uno Group. So, Uno Cart was an idea where you could actually order groceries from multiple retailers and then they'll de- deliver to you by like an Uber network. Right. And at the same time, every time you bought groceries, you'd be able to donate groceries to someone in need. So taking the same kind of concept, but we shifted it towards groceries instead of restaurants. Yep. Because yep. we, we thought there was more margin in groceries, which there isn't, <laughs> which is kind <laughs> of interesting. Because <laughs> groceries kind of had the same thing. So we grew that out. And then um, what actually happened was we tried to sell marketing to one of the big brands. Um, and then what they said, well, we're not really interested in marketing, but what we are interested in is understanding how consumers use our product. Right. Understanding how we can make our product better. Yeah. Could I just ask what, lead to work. Yeah. What, what might Sorry. seem like a dumb question? Why would I go to Unocart or, as opposed mm-hmm. to just getting Woolworths, Coles or whoever just to, you know, online purchase my yeah. groceries and then, and then for them to deliver them directly to me? Why would I go to Unocart as opposed to them? Yeah, the idea was that with Unocart, you get your own personal shopper. So they'd yep. go to Coles, Audi, or Coles, or Woolworths. So you could go to all three. Yep. So our application would combine all the prices. So you could go and get the best price for milk, the best price for steak, and someone yep. would go and shop at individual stores for you and then deliver it. Is this so big... instead of Coles going with one, yep. and Woolworths going with, like, just shopping at Woolworths or just shopping at Coles, you could shop at all three yep. at once. Is this uh, playing on the fact that those supermarkets often find out what your favourite products are, offer them at an extreme discount, get you in the front door and then, you know, yeah. make up that difference yeah, by slugging you a little bit on, on everything else? Is that is that playing yeah, on that on that fact? Yeah, 100%. So it was like they, diapers are a big factor for this, right? Yeah. So diapers are very cheap. They try and get the mums in the door, um, the parents in the door, and then once they got you in the door, they try and make it up on other things, right? Yeah. So yep. like the driver's. So like what we could do is we could collect all the drivers and the specials each week and you wouldn't actually have that problem. Mm. How did the supermarkets respond to your existence? They didn't actually mind it, I guess. We weren't yeah. I guess we weren't big enough. We're on a couple of their radar, but we weren't doing millions of dollars a year. Yeah. So yeah. we're still only in the hundreds of thousands, so we're very small still. 
so which which was fine for that. How do they go kind of, you know, bringing you into their conversations? Because, you know, when you talk about um, corporate entities in Australia, you know, the, the big supermarkets are, are right at the top end. Um, you know, yeah. you're, you're a, a relatively smallish startup in, you know, in little old Perth. How do you get a seat at the table with, with those sorts uh, we of didn't, people? We, yeah, we didn't actually get a seat at the table with them. So everything we did was without their um, blessing, I guess, or without their support. Yeah. Because um, we knew that we weren't going to get a seat at the table with these big giants until we were big enough. Yeah. And and now? Yeah. Do they... Uh, so what happened... So, so yes, what actually happened when we were doing the grocery delivery is in talking to the brands, so like your, say, Coca-Cola or your Pepsi's of the world, mm. they actually had a problem where they don't actually get to talk to consumers. Yep. Because they sell their products through grocery stores or through IGA, they don't actually get to talk to consumers. So they never get that feedback of like, how well are my product's doing? Do you like my product? Why do you buy my product, right? Yep. Understanding that why behind the buy. And so what we actually found was that, that was more valuable to the brands than actually marketing and saying, hey, you need to buy a bottle of Coke. Right. There was more there was more value in actually saying, hey, why do you buy Coke? Or why do you buy Pepsi? What do you like about it? Would you like vanilla Coke? And then allowing the brands to communicate with the customer was okay. where the actual business model was. So that's actually what we do now. Is that uh, so what, what's actually that what people broadly think of now as as data collection? Kind of, yeah. So what we do is we look at um the receipt purchases from a consumer. Mm-hmm. So you get rewarded. We have a reward system that every time you upload a receipt, um, we look at the receipt purchases and then we understand what you're buying and then we ask you why you buy it. Mm-hmm. So why did you buy Coke? Or why didn't you buy Coke? Mm. And then that's, that allows the brands to understand how people are shopping at Coles, the same person, how they're shopping at Woolworths or if they're shopping online. Mm. It just gives them more of a, a broader view of, of the market. All this talk of Coke, Tyler, I'm feeling a little bit thirsty. We better take a break. (laughs) We'll be back uh, in just a a moment. This is Inspiring Stories. Our special guest is Tyler Spooner. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the story of uh, tech entrepreneur Tyler Spooner. Uh, Tyler, you know, Kurt, uh, it was about 2016 that it uh, first came into existence, uh, still going now. Part of the expansion was moving outside of the Perth market and into Sydney. Tell us how that experience was because uh, often people from that side of the country uh, think that there's not a whole lot happening over on this side of the country. Was that your experience? <laughs> yes, it was. It's a uh, little old Perth whenever you talk yeah. to people over there. How's little old Perth doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting though. To be fair, it was different. Um, just the size of the volume, right? Yep. So how do you, how do you work with the CBD? How do you get into the CBD? Yep. Um, a lot of that was a big eye opener for us. Um, when we expanded over, and then that's actually when we started to pivot the business model into actually collecting receipts. Yep. Um, and from that, we we're able to scale uh, across Australia within a, a month. Yep. Um, so we went from going into Sydney to actually Australia-wide. Um, we went from hundreds of people using the product to a day to thousands of people using the product to a day. Um, just from that kind of rough launch into Sydney, which was a bit of an eye-opener for us, and um, learning about different environments, I guess, mm. than what we have here in Perth. Yeah. And so what's the what's what's the end game 
with Uno Kart, Tyler. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, is there a point at which you go, we've we've realised the dream here? It's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's Uno Group now because we've got multiple yep. products that sit under the um, umbrella. Yep. Sorry, yeah. Um, but, yep. yeah, that, that's fine. Um, so we've got a couple of big partnerships, um, one with um, Nielsen. So um, Nielsen's one of the largest market research companies in the world. Yep. Um, just to how we can help work with them to work with the suppliers to make better products for consumers. Yep. Um, and I guess that's kind of like that relationship's helping us grow Australia-wide and then we'll look to grow international with that as well. Yep. I guess that's kind of like the end game. How big can we get? Like we want to go outside of Australia. We want to look into places like Canada, the UK or the US. Yep. Similar markets, yeah. Uh, often the phrase, uh, you know, data collection and, and, and people trying to capture people's uh, habits, yeah. um, particularly when it comes to, you know, to spending and building profiles of people, people often take that uh, and interpret that in a somewhat sinister way. Have, yeah. you, have you ever sort of had to confront people who, you know, who take that argument to you? Um, and, and how do yeah. you respond to that? Yeah, we do it differently. So um, a lot of these companies that are doing it in a sinister way is they ask you to use a product and in using that product, they just take your data. Yep. Um, uh, the way our apps actually work differently is we offer you an application. So we have one called Receive Jail where we tell you what's happening. So we go, look, if you upload receipts, we use that receipts for market research. And then with return, we'll give you a reward or like a loyalty program. Yep. So we're very upfront at the start. So as soon as you use one of our products, you know exactly what's happening. Mm. It's never mm. the fact that we're going to give you this free product and then we're going to take all, all this data from you and sell it. And the secondly, it's non-identifiable. So it's never you as an individual. Yeah. It's yep. always a demographic or a location. How was that? That's, that's one thing we take seriously, yeah. How has Uno Group gone in 2020 when this bombshell of coronavirus pandemic suddenly landed uh, and just seemingly, you know, shifted the earth off its axis. Uh, one of the things that has happened, of course, is people have had to rely on uh, online delivery of uh, goods and services. How has that impacted on Unogroup? Yeah, so it was very interesting. Because we're into helping the market understand the market, um, we actually saw a demand for our product. Mm. But at the same time, we were just trying to help. So we released a free um, information tracker where we just asked our panels people that upload receipts, we just said, how are you guys feeling about eating out? Because I was really concerned about restaurants because I was like, these guys are going to get hit very, very hard if this gets worse. Yep. So and I was speaking to a lot of restaurant owners and they were like, well, we're just going to hold out for a while, keep staff on, and it will start to pick up in a couple of weeks. Yep. So we said, well, I think it's going to be longer than that, right? So what I did is I did some free market research on just restaurant industry to try and help them. So like asking people, like, when do you plan to eat out? Have you eaten out last week? Do you plan to eat out in the next week's? just to kind of give them an indicator where they could kind of figure out when to start slowing down staff or when to start kind of thinking of closing the doors. Because mm. it was very, very important for them because they had no idea and it just got hit with it. Given that you've got some fairly uh, thorough insights into uh, consumer behaviours and the, the restaurant industry, the food industry generally, how do you see uh, the post-corona world uh, re-emerging after this is uh, over? Hopefully it won't be too much longer, mm. but how do you see those... Uh, habits amongst uh, consumers, particularly here in Perth, how do you see them changing in the future? Yeah, we like to think of it as the new normal. Mm. Um, so, like, it's a new way of life, right? So we're starting to come out of it, but it's a different way. Like, we no longer have the same kind of luxuries we had before, and people's consumer behaviours have shifted a bit more. Yeah. So people are going to be more prone to going and walking and ordering, picking up. They're going to be more more prone to actually grabbing grabbing on the line, on, sorry, online delivery instead of eating in such as the restaurant. So we've got to think about how we kind of 
help the consumer in the new kind of new normal. Yep. It's, it's going to be it's different, but people are going to spend, hopefully, if the recession doesn't actually hit too hard. Mm. Tyler, are you a, a, a techie person? I mean, obviously, building an app requires a fair amount of uh, nous in that space. Uh, are you personally uh, the, the tech-savvy person, or do you have to draft in people to do that for you? I learned the hard way. <laughs> so the, 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 way, the best way I like to explain it is I spent $60,000 on an app. I didn't know what I was buying. Um, it was a big black box. And then I learned, right, when you're spending a lot of money, you end up learning. So when yep. things are breaking and you go, well, how much is that going to cost? And they go $5,000 or $10,000. Um, you start to go, hold on. I really need to understand yep. what is happening. Yep. So I've learned a lot along the way. I've got a great team. Um, uh, Jason... Uh, our CTO is great. He's a really great guy, um, Jason Gunn, and he's one of the main drivers behind it as well, right? It's like mm. I have enough skill to know who's good and to kind of understand what they're working on and yep. the tools of the trade. Because yeah. there are so many people that have these brilliant ideas and you know, and a lot of the time that involves building an app uh, that's going to make people's lives easier in some way or better. And you know, it's, it's a brilliant idea on paper. Uh, they never come to fruition for some reason or another. Um, if I went to you with my yeah. brilliant idea, Tyler, could you know? Could you personally help me? Um, it, it depends on what it was. <laughs> it depends on the layers of it, right? I'll, t- I'll talk also, to you about it later. To, <laughs> the good way to explain it is, um, if you're going to open a restaurant, yep, you need to know what the chef is doing. Yep. And if you, it's the same with technology. If you're going to have a technology startup, you need to understand your technology. Yep. Yep. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Get the basics right. Mm. Yeah. Hey, Tyler, we need to take another break. But after that, I want to hear all about your, nice. uh, your plans for the future. Tyler Spooner is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Tyler Spooner. Tyler, we were just talking before about how you've had to uh, learn some pretty broad skills along the way, particularly tech skills, just to understand you know, how your products work. But what about you know, just paying the bills along the way. How do you go about uh, tapping into that? I mean, if you don't have, you know, rich relatives or an angel investor around, you know, how do you, how do you get these things from idea to actually materialising? Yeah, so we've got, we've had great support, right? So like, I'm kind of just people hear about me and my story, but I've had a lot of people behind me driving it, right? So I've yep. got a great team that actually works on product. I've got great investor group behind it. Our company chair, Tommy Shin, has been great. Yep. And just being able to help drive drive us forward and support us, right? So from investment, from strategy, from corporate advice as well. It's a lot of great people behind us that have driven it forward. It's not, I'm, people just see my face, they don't actually know who's behind it, lifting it up, I guess. Yeah. In terms of just, you know, paying the bills as you go, have you have you had to pump a lot of your own money into this? And Yeah. So, yeah? Yes, to start off, so to start off, I put all of my own money in, my co-founder put all of her own money in. Mm-hmm. Um, we got into the um, Plus 8 program, which was more funding, um, and then we've got great investors involved, right? They could help support us. Yeah. So, like from angel investors all the way to more sophisticated investors, right? With Tommy Shin and uh, Letterable. Yeah. Is is Perth uh, 
in terms of the you know the global stage, is this a, a very nurturing environment for these sorts of uh, enterprises, or do we not embrace them in a way that we should? I'm, I'm talking about you know sort of just yeah, government growing. and business architecture here that can support this sort of stuff. Government's actually been quite good. So like R and D is a great incentive yep. for um, tech startups, um, and like the environment's hard, right? So we have a lot of um, wealth here that can help support new entrepreneurs. But the, the funny joke in the industry is how do you make money out of the ground or do you have real estate? Because mm. they're so ingrained in like um, mining companies or in real estate property rather than tech entrepreneurship, which is understandable, right? So like once companies like myself and some other companies give return to investors that have invested in them, then we'll have a new wave of funds that we can put into more tech companies. Yep. But at the moment, it's still young. It's just a young environment. Tolly, you've always had this social aspect to your um, your tech work. Uh, in terms of your motivations, you know, going going forward, how do you balance those? I mean, when you when you wake up in the morning, is is that burning passion in you um, to build your product or to give back? What, you know, what is it that really gets you out of bed and going in the morning? Yeah, so the whole objective is I need to get to a point where I have the resources I can to help people. Yeah. So like I said, I learned very early on that if I do not have the resources, then I cannot make the impact that I need. Mm. So the drivers, we need, I need to get these resources so that I can then make, make change. Because then I'm not reliant on anyone else. Mm. I'm not reliant on funding. I'm not reliant on government. I can just see a problem. I can see what works, what's logical to fix it, and then fix it. Yeah. Uh, your sister who gave you that ticket and gave you that push to get here, uh, 11 or so years ago. She must be enormously proud of, of what you've done out here, right? Yeah, she's been really supportive. I always call her. Yeah. Do you get back over there much? I haven't been back in years. No. Um, I try, but, yeah, it's just very hard. Is it a, is it a too busy or or more yeah, that you just... I you, got a, it's chapter one that's done. I'm on a different chapter now. No, no. I always go back and try and talk to friends and family that are from the environment. It is yep. hard, though. Yep. Because when you come back with all these new ideas and they don't understand sometimes what you're talking about or why they're in a bad situation, mm. but it's more busy. I always, I'm always in Sydney or Melbourne, and I just can't make it the next trip to New Zealand. I guess. Yeah, across the Dutch, you haven't lost the accent yeah. quite yet, anyway, Tyler. <laughs> Tell me, who are the people who have inspired you? I mean, we're hearing your inspiring story, but who are the people who have inspired you along the way? Those really crucial few people that have been such a big part of your life. Yeah, so, like, um, obviously my team has yep. inspired me a lot. Um, i got some great advisors. Um, Tim Brewer, Juan Otero have been great. Um, Tommy Shinachir has yep. been just a really advocate for us, like, helping us with fundraising, just supporting us, getting us in the programs. Just a real advocate. I guess those people along the way, um, Asher Vokulic, these investors, these people that have supported me have been really big drivers behind me. Yep. Where I've said, hey, I've got this idea. I think I can do it. I've got this traction, and they've gone, we're willing to give you an opportunity. Here's resources, here's funds, here's a connection. I think those are the main drivers behind yep. what, what we've created so far. And anyone, you know, who perhaps you haven't met, uh, an audio book uh, that you read back in your cleaning days, um, oh, um, you know, yeah. any of those sorts of figures yeah. that just just touched you uh, in a way that others didn't? Yeah, I really like Jim Rohn. I don't know how I keep mentioning his name in this, book, yeah. in this um, talk. But I think it's just his concepts of like on the way he looks at the world, the way he looks at it. He's really good at sales. Um, sales is a huge part of business. 
Um, just his philosophy on life and business is really great. Yep. I've read all his books. Just lastly, uh, Tyler, what's what's next for you? What's your next big plan for global domination? Um, we've got to get, so obviously grow in Australia and then look to see mm. whether or not we're going to go to the UK or Canada. Yep. So so, so global domination. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and out of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyler, it's been fascinating hearing your story. We really pre- appreciate you sharing it with us. So thank you and good luck with everything. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.